Hello, welcome to the JMP Cast. I'm your host, Josiah Michael Pyatt. This podcast is centered around the question what does it look like to live in our identity in Christ and to actively participate in the Father's kingdom that's in our midst? On today's episode, we look at what Paul calls the mystery that has been hidden through the ages. I hope something in this message encourages you today. So it's actually September while I'm recording this. I'm assuming this message is going to come out in November or December. But kind of what my process is, is I've been studying this book of Colossians. I've written out all these study notes and then I start taking the section that I'm going to be on and I write out my notes and I come up with a message and I I just pray about what to say and then I record it and then I edit it and then I show my wife, Carolia, and let her kind of give me her reflections, what she's hearing, what she sees that I'm doing well in, what she sees that I'm doing bad in. And one of the things that she said that she's noticed in these episodes is that I start them all off saying, I'm really excited to get to talk to you today about, and then I go into this section. So I know that that might be something I got to work on, but I'm telling you the truth today that I am so excited to get to talk to you about this next section that Paul's written to the church in Colossae. So far in the last episode, we were able to talk about uh, how Paul has been given a specific role within the member of the body of Christ. And that role is to minister the gospel to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And in this message, I was challenging us to, to actually seek God on what is the role that we are to play in the body of Christ. Well, today, Paul is going to go into a specific, into greater detail of what it is that he is proclaiming to the Jews and to the Gentiles. I'm so excited to get to talk to you about this today, but before we get into that, let me pray. Father, I ask that you would do what only you can do. God, would you fill us with your presence? God, whatever is going on in our life right now, whether it's amazing things or horrible things, will we just surrender that to you right now? God, will we just take this moment to just recognize that you are here with us, that you're in the room, that you're in the vehicle, that you're in our office, that you're in our homes. Wherever it is that we're listening to this, God, will we just keep our eyes on you in this moment? Father, I ask that you would speak, that you would do what only you can do. God, I don't have the ability to communicate this on my own. I'm asking that you would just give me your Holy Spirit to speak clearly and articulate the words that you have put in my heart today. Father, would we have ears to hear from you? Would we have eyes to see you? Would we have a heart that has courage to step out in the ways that you've called us to? Thank you for today. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your faithfulness. God, we want to hear from you today. Would you speak? In Jesus' name, amen. So, normally I would read to you the entire passage that we're going to talk about, but today I'm just going to read the first verse. Hopefully you'll understand why as we go through this. So I'm reading Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to go back to what we talked about last week. So I'm going to start in uh, verse 25 and I'm just going to stop at 26. And this is the English Standard Version. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for the ages and the generations, but has now been revealed to the saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. So Paul is saying to this church, he's reminding them of the history that we have as humans with God. 
You see, this is this this letter was written to the church in Colossae, which would have been full of people who are Jews, but also Gentiles. And in order to really understand what Paul is saying about this mystery that's been revealed through Jesus, we have to actually dive right back into the story of God and humanity. This is the longest story. This is the greatest story that has ever been told. That is what is actually written in the scriptures. That's written in the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So in order for us to get the full weight of how amazing, how glorifying this mystery that's been revealed through Jesus, I want us to actually take a moment to step back and to actually see the overarching story that is written in the Bible. So you're going to have to bear with me. We're going to go through almost like an Old Testament survey class to have a greater understanding of the story that Jesus entered into. So we're going to split this up into five acts. The first act is creation. The second act is the fall. The third act is the covenant. The fourth act is Jesus. And the fifth act is the renewal of the cosmos. So we're going to go through each act and hopefully you'll be able to hear the story afresh again. So this first act, what is the first act? The first act is what's recorded in Genesis and that is the creation story. What is this creation story all about? Essentially, the creation story reveals the purpose of humanity, the purpose of creation. What we learn in this creation story is that God has favorites when it comes to the things that he's created. That's right. God has favorites. He says that things are good, but when he looks at humans, he says they are very good. You see, Jesus, from the very beginning, has fixed his attention on us, on you and on me. Paul already in this letter has reminded us that it's the invisible God has been made visible through Jesus Christ. By him, all things were created. Through him, all things were made. And for him are all things. So that's what this creation story is actually talking about. It's talking about what Jesus has done. But they didn't know that at the time when they were recording the story. And so this leads us to this question, this relationship that God's going to have with humanity, is it a forced one or is it one that's invitational? And of course, we've already been seeing, if you've been listening through these episodes, this is God's love with us is actually an invitation. He will not force us. And so what we see in this creation story is that God is the God of life. He is the God of creativity. He is the God of, of joy, of peace, of everything that is good. Our father is a good father. But his goodness is so, so astounding that he actually allows us to have a choice in whether we want to experience it or not. And so with Adam and Eve, they had this choice of whether they were going to partner with God or not. And that was through the form of this tree. This, they had the choice between eating from the tree of life or the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so essentially, as we, if you know the story, Adam and Eve made this decision. And this leads us to act two, which is that Adam and Eve chose to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And what happened from that is that humans and creation was now separated from God. Because if God is holy and life and good, and he gives us a choice, then that means that choice has to be things that are not of God, which is why it brings death. Because if God is life and we get to choose outside of God, what we are choosing ultimately will bring death. And that's exactly what happened in Act 2, the fall. And so in the fall, we, we, we see that God has separated himself from his creation. But the question we must ask is, is God going to remain separate? Even from the very beginning, you can see that God actually covered Adam and Eve through killing an animal and giving them garments. 
to cover their nakedness. There's a whole lot that we could get into that. But even from the very beginning, from the first story, we see that the cost of not following Jesus, the cost of not choosing God is death. There's always something that has to die when we don't choose life. That is Jesus. That is God. And so this leads us to this third uh, act, which is the covenant. And so what was lost in the garden, this relationship, this intimacy with the father that's been separated because of the choice that humans have made in the fall, the question is, is God going to leave them that way? And the answer in scriptures is no. God looks down at Abraham and says, through you, through your descendants, I will bless them and it'll be through them that what was lost in the garden will be restored. And as we see through Abraham's descendants, there comes this man named Jacob and it's through his kids. Jacob's name is also Israel. And that is where the people of God, Israel, comes from. That's who Jews are. God chose his people, Israel, to be the people that would bring reconciliation of this relationship that has been lost in the garden. But just like how in the garden, Adam and Eve had a choice of whether they would want to follow God or not, Jesus allows his people, Israel, to make that same decision. He doesn't force them to follow his ways. He gives them the opportunity to. And so what we see in scripture is that Israel decides not to follow Jesus. He decides not to follow God's way. And as a result, they end up in oppression. They end up in slavery. The Bible likes this term exile. So they end up in exile and they are being ruled over by the, the, by the Egyptians. And so the question that we have to ask again is, would God leave his people in slavery? Just like would he leave Adam and Eve on their own separate? And the answer is the same. No, he would not. He chose this man, Moses, to be the one who would bring reconciliation. And so Jesus, through Moses, gives, Egypt, or gives, gives the Israelites this opportunity to be delivered from those who are oppressing him. And so Israel ends up being set free. And it's really interesting that the, the defining point, the turning point of them being set free was actually through them sacrificing a lamb and putting the blood on the door. You see, just like with Adam and Eve, with them having an animal die to cover their mistakes, to cover their nakedness, here we see with Israel in Egypt that it would be a lamb's blood that would cover them, that would set them free and allow them to have a right relationship with God once again. But then again, with this question that ends up happening over and over in the Old Testament, is that will Israel remain faithful to God? Will they say yes to this relationship? As they are set free and as Egypt is destroyed, the people that were oppressing them are destroyed and they're in this new, this new space, God gives them this new way to live. He gives to Moses the Ten Commandments and the law. Now, behind the law, every law is a promise. What do I mean by that? So the law of not stealing is God's way. So there's a law, right? The Ten Commandments. You probably heard of it. And one of them is like, do not steal. What that actually was, was God saying, I will always provide for you. You will never need to steal. And so another way of looking at this moment that Israel is escaped from Egypt, that they've been delivered, is that God sets them apart and says, I'm going to renew what was lost in the garden. In fact, the way for you to have a right relationship with me, I'm going to show you that trail. I'm going to show you that path. And in that, I'm going to bless you because I am life and you're going to have access to that life once again. And so he gives them this sacrificial system, which would be the way that they would have forgiveness of sins. He gives them a path that they are to live as, as the new humans, as the true humans. But then this question happens again, will Israel follow Jesus' way? And the answer is no, unfortunately they don't. And God ends up punishing for them. There's, there's consequences. You can read it in the book of Exodus. 
And so what ends up happening from this is then Jesus leads them into the desert and he actually follows them. He, he provides manna for them to eat. He provides food for them, but it's only enough for today. And so he leads them in the desert and then he leads them to this land. And this land is the promised land. This is the land that, that God tells them that he will dwell there for them. What was lost in the garden would be restored through this land. But when Israel looks at the land, there's people already living there. There's these giants. And so when Israel sees the giants, all of them, except for I think two or three guys say, we can't do this. And as a result, they choose not to follow God's way and they choose to follow their own. And then they get banished for 40 years in the desert. And it ends up being their children and those three guys who had the faith that ending that end up entering the promised land. I know this might be a lot of information, but I hope it'll be helpful. Uh, again, this is a podcast, so you can easily just uh, rewind and hopefully be able to follow along what I'm saying. So the Israelites say no to the promised land. And the question we have to ask is, will God leave them alone in the desert? And the answer is no. He, it says that his spirit led him day and night. But eventually, God uh, forgives them and allows them to enter the promised land through this guy named Joshua. And so Joshua leads them into this promised land. And in this promised land, God says that his presence will dwell. And so as they're in this land and as they're following Jesus's way, they end up looking at other nations around them and they see that these other nations have kings. And so they plea with God to give them a king. And God says, no, you don't want a king. A king will bring corruption. But he says, fine, if you guys want it this way, then that's what will happen. So he gives them this king. And as a result, the, the king, there's just this up and down relationship where they're obeying God and they're disobeying him. They're obeying and they're disobeying. And one of the things that God brings insight for the king to have is this temple. And so the temple was super important for the, for the Jews of this day because the temple was the place where the presence of God was. That was the only place in earth where the presence of God dwelt. And so this was the place of worship, but it also was the place of sacrifice. They would sacrifice animals because blood had to be spilt for the mistakes that they made, for the times where they chose death. Now, fast forward a little bit farther into the story of the Old Testament, you've got prophets coming in and they're saying, guys, there's going to be a new day where we no longer have to be ruled by corrupt kings, where we're not, where we're not going to be disobeying anymore, where we're actually going to follow God in this, in this truest way, where this relationship is going to be restored. There's someone who's going to come and he's going to purify the temple and he's going to relieve us from those who are oppressing us. So this is all within Act 3. This is the covenant. And it's interesting to note that even in this stage, in order for what was lost in the garden to be restored, the Jews had to go to a specific place, the temple. They had to do specific things. They had to sacrifice animals in order for their relationship with God to be reconciled, in order for there to be peace. But these animals would have to continually be sacrificed because they kept making mistakes. And so these prophets were pointing to a day where maybe that wouldn't have to happen anymore. And so this is where we step into Acts 4. So Act 4 is where Jesus comes into. Uh, into the story. And so Jesus comes into the story in the land of promise, in the promised land, but the promised land is actually being ruled by the Roman Empire. And so the Jews find themselves in exile again. Unlike the time in Egypt when they were slaves, they're actually in their land, but they're not living in the freedom that they have. Oh my goodness, just a side note. How sad is it that there are followers of Jesus who have the promises of God in their life they're living in the land of promise, and yet they're still living as if they're in Egypt. Oh, would we rise up from that narrative? 
That is a total side note. Jesus is coming into the story. They're in exile with the Romans. And Jesus comes in and he, lit, he has to be born of a virgin Mary. Why? He is born of a virgin Mary because Jesus had to be born in the same state as Adam and Eve. What do I mean by that? When Adam and Eve in the creation story, they started out by bearing the image of God. But when they chose to sin, sin entered the world from every generation from them. That fallenness, right? And so in order for Jesus to undo the curse that Adam brought to the world, he had to be born in the same state of Adam before Adam sinned. And so Jesus was born of a virgin because he was born of the spirit, just like Adam was born from the dust of the spirit breathing over him. So Jesus was born as the new Adam. And just like Adam in the garden, he had a choice of whether he was going to follow God or not. And so as we read the gospels, we see that Jesus followed God's way perfectly. He is the new Adam, but he's also the new Israel. And so he had to follow the law that is the promises that God revealed to Moses perfectly. And as we follow the gospels, we see that Jesus did all those things. But here's the thing. If you read the gospels, we'll actually see that Jesus through his words and through his deeds actually pointed to a new reality. That is his kingdom. That was that, that God was not going to dwell in just the Jews anymore, but he wanted to dwell in all people. There was something new coming into the system. They thought that the restoration of the temple was what was going to happen. And yet when Jesus saw the temple, he prophesied over it and said, it's going to be at the destruction. And that was actually the final straw that made the Jews crucify Jesus. That was the final straw that made the Romans kill Jesus is because he was claiming a new king and he was a new king and that there was a new kingdom. And for the Jews to hear that the temple would be destroyed is to say that God's presence is no longer going to dwell with them. And for the Romans to hear that there's a new king would mean that there's a new threat to their empire. And the ironic part is that Jesus was the new king, but the way in which his throne came into being was by on the cross. And so it was through the cross, that was his inauguration, that he then died and brought in the new kingdom through his resurrection. And that is where he ascended into heaven as the new king of not just Israel, but the world. And so this is the story that we are stepping into. This is the story that Paul is reminding the church in Colossa. So let's read what he said again in the church of Colossa. So this mystery that was hidden for the ages and the generations but it was now revealed to the saints. So the history, right? The history that we just went through, this mystery, this thing, this truth, whatever Paul's about to say is something that no Israelite knew. Adam didn't know it. Abraham didn't know it, right? Do you get what I'm saying? So this mystery that they didn't know about that has now been revealed. Let's see what he says. Verse 27, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. So what is the mystery, Paul? This is what he says. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus Christ restored what was lost in the garden through his blood. There would be no more need for animal sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins would arrive through the blood of Jesus, the true lamb of God. We now, 
through Jesus have forgiveness of sin, which then allows us to have access to God, the knowing of God, to know him. What's interesting about this is he's saying Christ in you, the hope of glory. Remember, this forgiveness of sin has allowed us, like Paul said earlier, that we are holy, blameless, and above reproach, right? This is who we are. And yet in this moment, that is not the mystery that Paul said is being revealed through Jesus Christ, although that is true and beautiful and he already mentions it. But what does Paul say? You see, Paul doesn't say that this forgiveness of sins has now allowed for the mystery of God to dwell back in the temple. Instead, Paul says the mystery from old is that God was not going to dwell in a temple again, but now God was going to dwell within the people in whom put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. You see, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would would fall on a person, but the Holy Spirit would never dwell in a person. That is why it is so important for us to understand the climax of the Bible story. The climax of the biblical story is not that Jesus forgave our sins. No, the climax of the scriptural story is that Jesus is King. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. He is our Savior. He is the Chosen One. He is the one in whom all things have been reconciled back to Him. And it's this very Christ that Paul is saying is in you and I. It is this Christ that dwells within us when we say yes to him. Paul is saying to this church in Colossae, and he is saying to you and me that Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, of all things, wants to dwell inside of you and of me. He wants to be in us. This is not just an intellectual concept, although it will involve the renewing of our mind. This is not a principle to live by, though there is a way that we will now follow. This is not an emotional experience, though our emotions, our desires, our passions will be transformed. This is the person of Christ dwelling in us through the Holy Spirit. This has so many implications for you and for I, and I'm hoping that for the rest of this message, we'll be able to explore what this might mean. So this implica- these implications from this, Christ in us, the hope of glory, it affects us personally. You see, we are now never alone for those who are in Christ Jesus. He dwells within us. We have the God of the universe who desires to dwell within us. He desires to know us. He desires to speak to us. He desires to lead us. He desires to guide us. He desires to help us. He desires to comfort us. He desires to empower us. He desires to support us. He desires to strengthen us. He desires to give us words when we have none. He desires to empower us to embody love, patience, kindness, self-control, discipline. He desires for us to have peace and to have joy. When I make this list, when I say this list to you, are these things that when you hear me say them as a follower of Jesus, you can identify in your life? In the last week, in the last month, and since you said yes to following Jesus. See, this is the invitation that we have as followers of Jesus. We have this invitation to receive the forgiveness of sins, but then to allow the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. This changes everything for us. Everything is different. We no longer have to go through this life alone. We have a helper. We have a comforter. We have a guide. 
And if you feel that you are helpless and if you feel that you have no strength and you feel that you are in such chaos, can I encourage you today to give your life to Jesus, to receive the Holy Spirit who brings peace, who brings order, who brings joy, who brings kindness, these things that I've already said to you. This is the invitation of Christ. He loves us so much. He didn't want to just dwell in a temple. He didn't want to just dwell in a specific person. No, he wanted to dwell in all of humanity. And he saw the cost that it would be for him to do that. And he said yes to it. Socially, this has an implication. When you interact with others, your spouse, friends, neighbors, the coworkers you like, the coworkers that annoy you, the strangers, the homeless people in your town or city, the orphans, the widows, the sick, those who are in prison, the hopeless. When someone interacts with you, do they experience hope? Do they experience someone who looks like Jesus? Do they experience peace? Do they experience joy? Do they experience life? This is not a suggestion for Christians. This is what happens when the God of the universe dwells within us through the power of the Holy Spirit by the blood of the Lamb. This is to be expected. Our priorities as Christians change when we give our life over to Christ and we allow Him to dwell in us. Things shift. The way we spend our time, the way we spend our money, the way we treat one another, everything changes because the Holy Spirit gives us a new heart, a new mind, new eyes, new ears. We've been given a new name. It's the Spirit in us that allows us to cry, Abba, Father. It changes everything. But I have to ask this question, is Christ in you the hope of glory? Because he's supposed to be. It's supposed to be that way. Oh, there's an invitation for us to say yes to Jesus, for us to experience hope in a new way. Some of us have hit a wall in our relationship with Jesus, and it's because we've never actually invited the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. We have not entered into this relationship where God, where he actually dwells in us, where he leads us, where he guides us, where he changes everything about us. Just like in the garden. Just like when Israel was being delivered from Egypt. Just like when Israel was at the shores of the promised land. Just like when Israel had the choice of having a king. Just like when Israel could hear the words of the prophets. Just like when Israel had to see Jesus of Nazareth face to face. There is an invitation. It will not be forced. God has paid for our freedom, but he will not force it upon us. He desires to dwell within you and he desires to do all these things that I've said. So this is not something that is abnormal for the Christian life. Remember, Paul is writing this to the everyday believer in Colossae, the everyday believer, the you and the me. It is Christ in us that is the hope of glory. We are meant to be a hope-filled people. But Jesus will not force his presence on us. He allows us to have a choice. So for some of us in the past, we have said yes. But if we don't continue to say yes, God is not going to force himself upon us. There is an invitation for you and for me today to say yes again to his presence, to say yes again to having Christ in us, the hope of glory. This is a reality that you and I get the privilege of living in. 
and it changes everything. It changes how we think about ourselves. It changes how we treat ourselves. It changes how we treat those around us. It literally is Christ in us, the hope of glory. The Father was not content in leaving you in your brokenness. He was not content in leaving you in the cycle of distraction, the cycle of abuse, the cycle of addiction, the cycle of depression, the cycle of anxiety, the cycle of chores. He has drawn near to us and he is inviting us to allow his presence, to allow his spirit to dwell within us again. Oh, would we say yes to this invitation? Would, we be, would it be Christ in us, the hope of glory, when we walk around in the cities and the towns that we have a privilege of living in? Would we be the hope of glory through Christ alone for those that are around us? When people see us, would they see him? Father, today I ask that we would just say yes to you in a fresh way. Holy Spirit, wherever we find ourselves, would we just experience your presence again? God, would we just rest in the truth that you are in us, that you love us, that you are for us, that we never have to be alone again? That if we are feeling helpless, you promise to give us help. If we are feeling uncomfortable, you promise to give us comfort. If we are feeling weary, you promise to give us strength. Oh Lord, would we be dependent on your presence? Like Israel in the desert that was dependent on the manna, would we be hungry and thirsty for you and for you alone? Our Father in heaven, hallowed is your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, God. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us today this daily bread, and forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. God, We trust you. We give you our yes. Thank you for being in us. Oh Lord, we are excited to see all that you want to do in and through us. Thank you for just not giving up on us. Thank you for not just being content with having this invitation out there, but that you would actually want to dwell within us, that you actually want to know us, that we don't have to be alone. Even in this time of self-isolation, we are not alone. We have an intimate father who wants to know us and and grow with us. Oh God, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your love. You are so good. Amen. Well, thank you for listening to today's episode. If you're wanting to stay connected, you can do this by following us at the JMP cast on Instagram or Facebook. I hope you'll consider joining me as we continue to ask this question, what does it look like to live in our identity in Christ? and to actively participate in the Father's kingdom that's in our midst. Have a great day.